So we're going to begin a new series beginning today on the women of the Bible. Oh, I have a three women in my family. I think I know women pretty well. But the more, the more I live with them, I have no idea what they, how they are like. It's a, it's a mystery. I think every man would agree to that. And, uh, but we are uh, nevertheless going to talk about the women of uh, the Bible. And um, we don't often talk about women in the Bible, um, but we should, and we will, in beginning today. Here's the question. Talking about women, have you heard much about the first name Tamar among your friends? I don't know anybody. Ben says like this. It's just not common. Or do you know anyone in the, your far circle friend of yours that has name Tamar? It's not common. But in the Bible, she plays a very significant role, very important role. And we're just not honoring her by naming her name with the people around us. Just so that you know, Tamar means palm tree, date palm. There is, I'm just saying, it's not really clearly defined in the Bible, palm tree. You know, in the Old Testament, every name has meaning associated with that person's either character or their vision or their dream, how God made that person to be, what role they play in the Bible, context of the history of the Bible. Palm tree, when I heard the name, name of her, uh, uh, the meaning of her name is palm tree. Hmm. Jesus in palm tree. I remember that. When he entered into Jerusalem, they were all shouting Hosanna and they waved palm tree. I wonder if there's any connection. Yes, there is. Palm tree in all days, in Old Testament days, symbolized goodness, well-being, and victory. Hmm. I wonder who won the final victory. And let me say from the get-go that there is reason as to why we don't use her name as often as we should. If you look at what she did in the context of today's standard, Today's so-called moral standard, well, right now we don't have any moral standards. But, but today's moral standards, well, she had some complicated life with men. And we're going to study about her today and still find way to worship our God who created her. And through her story, as challenging as it may be, we can find hope and comfort knowing that God will use any one of us for his glory. That's the really true message of this particular woman in the Bible, Tamar. You see, in the Bible times, any woman who had a complicated life with a man, especially outside of marriage, they kind of 
kind of devalued her. They didn't really respect her. But we're going to unfold that, unpack that. Whether that is true, whether it should be that way, but there's reason why that was done. Let me give you an example. Pasiba is another example. She was a beautiful woman. That's a fact that's in the Bible. King David had an eye on her, but she was married. And King David, the King David, did something that is unthinkable to this standard. Perhaps back then, too. He sends Bathsheba's husband to a battle to die. Bible was pretty clear. This battle, whoever goes, will die. King David knew that. He sends this general, the, the, the man, uh, the, the husband of Bathsheba to the battle, and he dies. And David, the King David, takes her. Yet today, more men have their first name, David, than any other male name. But I don't know anyone around me, any woman who has first name, Pasiba. Do you? Well, Tamar was kind of like that situation. <coughs> Not too many <coughs> people named their babies Tamar. Perhaps Tamara. They're a little bit more common, but it's really derived from Tamar. One of the professors of the Biblical Theological Seminary where I serve as a board member, we went to Korea together to teach this marketplace missionary program. He wrote a book called God Behaving Badly. With a subtitle that reads, Is the God of the Old Testament angry, sexist, and racist? His name is David Lamb, who is now academic dean of the seminary. So when you read Old Testament, when you read this Old Testament, do you ever wonder why God sometimes acts so harshly? I'm sure you have gone across that. As for me, I grew up in a Christian family, so before I read the Bible from cover to cover, I knew God as someone who is caring, loving, and the creator is this almighty God and who forgives and all that. Wonderful things you and I know. So when I see and read in the Bible that God is sometimes really harsh on other people, it's kind of, for me, it's not a big deal because it's like I'm comparing it to my earthly father. You know, I know my father loved me, cared me, and did what he would do everything for me. Boy, but when he gets angry, he'll beat the daylights out of me. In my days, they literally beat us quite a bit. I don't know about young millennials. I know you don't get hit that much, but no, spanked that much. But my generation, pretty much everybody got one of those kind of sticks. Now, other people who does not really know God who did not really grow up in, the gods, uh, in, in, in a Christian family, 
or had some difficult life experience, they don't have that sense of same sentiment as we do as it has to do with God is. And then when they read Bible, God God killed all these people. They said, I don't want to deal with this God who is behaving badly. And you read the story of tomorrow, there's some complicated, there's like, how can God do that kind of stuff? How can God allow Tamar to behave in certain ways, whatever this case may be? And we all unfold and unpack that. You know God did some really harsh things in the Bible. Just because people did not carry the, the Ark of the Covenant correctly, and people who actually looked into the Ark of the Covenant, God killed what, 50,000 people. That's pretty harsh. I'm not so sure people who doesn't think of God as the loving and, 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 and creator thinks that's the kind of God that I want to follow. There was a priest who uh, walked up to the tabernacle and then without proper wardrobe, they're gone. God says in Old Testament, in some context, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. What happened to all these things that we talk about in the New Testament? Yes, when you look at the old, uh, entire Old Testament, you see God as someone who is so, so uh, loving. He, we see him as a creator, a provider, and a giver who is compassionate, who is forgiving, who heals, and gives us another chance like he did with the king Hezekiah, like he did to me as well, extending my life. But when you look at closely, some of the things that he does, as a, let's say, as a person. No, we know. He's a person. This God is a person. As an individual, he's just not that patient. He is not that sometimes appeared as loving. He's not that gentle. And it appears, though, God is the one who needs a little bit of the self-control we talked about last week. The fruit of spirit. The last one is self-control. Like, God, you need a little bit of that. So let's unpack this. The first question is, is God behaving badly? Is he sexist when it comes to women? We need to understand this so that we can understand worshipful nature in the story of Tamar. Which is the first person, first woman, we're going to start with this new series. Woman of Old Testament. So Tamar, who is she? Now I suggest you go home and start reading Genesis 38 and see the whole thing, and it will make a lot of sense to you since our message today. But I'm not going to read the whole thing because Genesis 38 is pretty long. I know uh, today's young people, even the older people, don't have an attention level that long. So I'm not going to read it. But I'm going to try to tell the story in a way that I know how to tell so you can listen and understand what actually happened. Let me, before I do that, let me show you this amazing slide. Tamar is married to Judas first son named Ur. Then question is, who is 
Judah. There's a lot of Judahs in the Bible. Who is this particular Judah? Judah is the fourth son of Jacob. Do you remember the story of Jacob who had 12 sons? Ninth person being who? Ninth was Joseph, the, the famous, the, the prime minister of Egypt, uh, Joseph. Judah was fourth son. And Judah had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. So she was married originally to the first uh, son of Judah. So you can see um, on this slide. Here is Jacob's family and the ladies. I guess it's wives. And then the 12 sons from the Reuben. One, two, three, four. Judah in subject is the fourth. And five, six, seven, eight, ninth uh, son, Joseph, the famous uh, prime minister. That's why he's got a little interesting robe here. Benjamin, Dan, and so forth. So if you carry this circle all the way on this right chart here, Judah. Judah is how it goes. I want to explain to you in a little more detail as we go so we can pay attention to that. So Judah was, had a married and had a one, two, three sons, but the third son is not mentioned in this particular uh, uh, chart. So let me try to explain this to you. This son, Tamar was married to her, and the Bible says her husband did some wicked things, so God killed him. Simple as that. It's killed him. Pretty harsh, right? Killed him. So what happens in this case? Well, there is a law, the law of land in, uh, back then called Leverett Union. So Judah, the father, asks his second son, Onan, to provide offspring, in other words, take Tamar as wife and, and provide offspring so that they, he can continue the family line. Now, Onan didn't really mind having Tamar as wife, so they were, I suppose, consummated. They're married. Even though he lied with her, he did not want to have child or children with her. Why? It was all about money. So you need to understand the tradition or culture at that time. Why? Because of money. In Jewish tradition, if first son dies without a son, then the wife of the first son has to marry the second son so they can continue the legacy the line. So Onan accepted that, but he refused to have children. Why? Because if 
he bears a child as a second son. His son, which will be the grandson of Jacob, is going to get all the inheritance that his first son would have had. And he didn't like that. Today, if you have your own son is going to be honored, you know, it's my son. He's going to be like uh, rich and uh, he's going to have a lot of inheritance. That's the, any father will be happy for that. Well, not in those days. Because it has to do with inheritance, the continuing with the line. That's why the firstborn in the Bible is very critical. That's why, because the firstborn is so critical, there are a lot of deceptions, you know? Hear about the deceptions? A lot of deception about who is the first, who is the second in the, in, in, in the Bible. So Onan, the second son, will not have a children with the Tamar. And God didn't like that attitude. He didn't like his ways. And so God decides God's killed him. Now Jacob, the Judah, the father, the, the father, had two sons died, but he's got no grandsons to continue his legacy. So he went to Tamar, okay, okay, let's give a third try. Now I'm going to give my third son to you. But third son was just a boy, was not ready for a wedding or marriage. So Tamar waited it. Judah had a change of mind. My two sons died because of her. Well, if I give her to my third son, maybe my third son will die too. So he did not give the third son to Tamar. Maybe Tamar knew something that the Bible does not show. I think she did because you'll see why. And she decides to do something. She decides to take the matters into her hands to make sure the legacy, make sure Judah is blessed with the grandson so that the line will continue. In the meantime, Judah's, his own very wife, dies, and he becomes widow. So one day, Tamar finds out that Tamar is the daughter-in-law, finds out that her father-in-law is going town to care for sheep. So upon hearing this, Tamar disguises herself as a prostitute and goes to town. And because she was wearing a veil, Judah had no idea who she was. So he requests her service. Tamar's plan was to get pregnant so that she may bear a child in Judah's line. Because Judah did not give, give her the third son. Now, she was kind of smart when she agreed to give the service. She knew what was going on. She knew what was at stake. She had to make sure because Judah does not know that this, the person, is daughter-in-law. She was smart, and she wanted, and then for exchange, uh, uh, she said, "For my service, you need to give me a goat." 
And uh, Judah says, sure, good, I'll give it to you. And uh, she was smart and says, okay, but good is not here. You have to bring it. So therefore, Tamar demands Judah as a proof that you will bring the goat. <clears throat> I need your seal. I need your cord. I need your staff. Three things. You know what they represent in those days? <clears throat> it represents your identity. You don't give those things up that easily. It's like somebody says, give me your license. You're not going to give the license. You don't know what the person is going to do with the license. But he freely gave that all his three identity, seal, cord, and staff. Staff is not just a stick in those days. It is engraved with the line after line from Abraham to all the way down, and it stops right at Judah. And he needs to continue to record what's going to happen after uh, he dies, the sons who's going to bury a child, child, and after child. And that's how important it is it gives to this stranger, a woman, a prostitute. Well, a few days later, or a few months later, I guess more than a few days, a few months later, uh, they found out that uh, she was pregnant. When they found out that she was pregnant, uh, people in the village, I guess, in the families thought she did something that's not right. And when Judah, the father-in-law, found out that daughter-in-law is pregnant with somebody else, he got angry. You know what he did? It's unthinkable. He orders her to be burned to death. Oh my God. Can you imagine your very daughter-in-law? Uh, he orders burned to death. And as she was being pulled, I suppose, and um, Tamar, as being as smart as she is, before you burn me to death, I want you to let you know that who the person who is responsible for my pregnancy says, who? She pulls out the core, the seal, and the staff. And the Judah was shocked. He was shocked. Now, I don't think he repented, right? At the moment, maybe he did. Time probably had passed a little bit. That's when he said, just like when, when uh, uh, Peter you know, when the, the, the fisherman, Peter, Peter you know, uh, when Jesus said to do that, throw the net over there and all that kind of things, and then when he uh, refused, and no, he didn't refuse, when he did, he found out he actually called out a fish and realized it was, and, uh, he was wrong, he immediately said, I repent. You are truly son of God, and he just you know, abandoned everything and, and followed Christ. And I guess it was that kind of moment and Genesis 38 and 26. I have to do this now. Judah recognized them and said, what did he recognize? There are three things, okay? The identification of him, you know, the cord and the seal and the staff. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah. The point here is that here is a change of scene where she was about to die. But here is the same man who 
order to burn her to death, is saying, she is more righteous than I. Their things are changing now. Now she's being respected, saying, the person that I've ordered to, to be died, she's actually more righteous than I. And then Tamar gives birth to twin Perez and Zera. That's really the end of the story in Tamar. No more it's mentioned about her. And then New Testament comes. Matthew 1, verse 1 through 3. It's just amazing. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. I just want to let you sink on that a little bit. This is a very important Bible verse. The genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham's name was mentioned. David's name was mentioned. Isaac's name was mentioned. We get that. Jacob's name was mentioned. We understand that. Judah's name was mentioned. That bad person. Not only that, Abram's wife's name was not mentioned, even though how great she is. Isaac, Jacob, their wife's name is not mentioned, but Tamar's name is mentioned. So who are we for us to judge Tamar for what she did? So if you look at this chart, Adam, Abraham, Judah, and then David, you've got all the Solomon and Nathan, and then comes Jesus between the two. Here's entire genealogy, starts with Adam, Noah, and all these people in between, Abraham, and goes down to who? Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez. Perez is Judah's son through daughter-in-law. And goes down to King David. And all the way down, this is called uh, Mary's line. Right here, Mary. And then this is a J. This is uh, Joseph's line this way. And through two lines, our Lord Jesus Christ is born. So why are these kind of stories are told in the Bible? What purpose do they serve? Why did God use these people like Tamar and Judah in the Messianic line? That our Lord Jesus Christ will be born through them. Here's a Jewish perspective, the view. 
Her actions were avoiding Judah's humiliation. In those days, if you are a man and you don't have any grandson or grandson to, to continue legacy, you are kind of, they're kind of say, well, God must be despising you. It's called humiliation. He had an old grandson. And he was, Judah did not kept his promise. Everybody knew he's supposed to be, she's supposed to uh, lie with the last son, but Judah is not doing that. He's not letting that happen. Everybody in the area knows that. So the Jewish law and the culture, she was seen as someone who is a wise and brave woman wanting to make sure that his father in law is given a grandson to continue his heir, the successor, whom we know now is Jesus Christ. She is considered in Jewish tradition woman of integrity, risking her life to fulfill her duty to bear a child. Now, the Leverett law that if your husband dies will die child and you have the right to marry the second son and third son. The intent, what is the intent of the law? Is to make sure the legacy continues. The heir continues. The lineage continues. It was to protect woman. It was to protect woman's right to bear child. It's not today's standard, but in those days, that's common. Not practice, it's right thing to do. Christian perspective is that according to the Gospel of Matthew we just read, Judah and Tamar are ancestors of Jesus through their son, Perez. Tamar's actions were unorthodox for today's standard, but in a way she redeemed who? Judah. She saved Judah from doing what was wrong. And thus, we can say that Tamar is a free figure of Jesus. He was also, not also, he was also one of the, her descendants. As harsh as God behaves sometimes, but he is forgiving father, his forgiving nature shows in advance that he will save those who believe in him, who have faith in him. So therefore, from Christian perspective, this is the story of God's love, the God's grace. We don't often talk about this kind of stories in the Bible because at first it's kind of disturbing for today's standard because it's about sex, it's about prostitution, incest, illegitimate children. We as Christians, when we look at any stories Any Bible verse in the Bible or the scripture, we have to look at it with two lenses. 
say two lengths of truth. One, that all passage in Holy Scripture is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness. You all know that, right? Second, the lens we have to look at any stories in the Bible that it is about grace. That everything in the Old Testament points toward New Testament, which is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have those two things, you cannot go wrong understanding God's desire, God's intent for us. So grace. We'll continue with the grace. We'll conclude with the grace. For this story is not all about Tamal either. It is also about Judah, her father-in-law. Let me go back to Judah. This story that I'm about to tell you is very important in understanding the grace. Who is Judah? He was one of the 12, right? And among 12, who do you think deserves most attaboy, you think gray, was who was most pleasing to the Lord? Joseph, the prime minister. No question. But why was then Joseph's legacy was not the one God chose to, to bring our Lord Jesus Christ, but it was Judah. Now look, focus, but go back to Judah again, among the 12. Who was Judah? If you read the Bible, let's just say, who is the worst among the 12? It was Judah, in the case you didn't know. Who put him, who sold him to Egypt? Who instigated to get rid of this Joseph? I don't like him. We don't like him, brothers. Let's get rid of him. He's getting all the love from our father. Let's get rid of him. Let's sell him. Who did that all that? If you look at the Bible, his brothers are all quiet. It's him. It's Judah who instigated all this bad, bad things. He instigated it. And then he's the one that said, let's Instead, first he said, let's go kill this guy. And then he says, no, 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 I have a better yet. If we sell him, at least we can get some profit. So he took money. Bad guy. And you know what is worse for today's standard? He knew his father Jacob was totally heartbroken about 20 years, according to the scholars, until... They found out how, you know, through, how they were rescued through the Joseph. His father was heartbroken for 20 years, thinking that his son Joseph was dead. Judah didn't really care. He had no remorse. He had his father live like that. What kind of son is that? This story is called Reflection of Sinful Nature of Human. That's you and I. It's the story that depicts the success, the earthly world, that, that the, the world is full of sinful nature. During that 20 years, I don't know when it happened. 
Now, Judah goes to marry this uh, Canaanite woman. He now has three sons, two mature, and one boy, Ur, and Anan, and Shelah. So both Judah's son dies, as he already told you. So he blames Tamar. But Tamar still wanted to honor him. Think about that. Father-in-law is accusing her, is already ordered to burn her to death. Tamar knew the importance of this having the legacy continue, wants to honor him, wants to give him a son. And for that, she did what she had to do. And you can see here, when Judah found out that she was pregnant, you know what he did? He exercised the law of the land. Even though he was, though he was also a filthy man, a person who, doesn't, who didn't keep his promise, he still orders the law of land. That law of the land allowed him to order her to be killed by burning. He had no compassion for daughter-in-law. That's the Judah who sold his brother Joseph. To Egypt. That's pretty bad. To think that Jesus will come through him. The law of land. Let's talk about the law of land. Why was Jesus killed on the cross? The law of the land at that time. You will see that Jesus came to teach Pharisees that we are not justified by observing the law, but by what? Faith. The story tells it all. So later Judah finds out that Tamar is carrying his baby. Something happens to Judah. He omits his guilt. He forgives her. He takes her back to his house and treats with a sense of respect and care. Judah then repents. What's also interesting here is this. As proof, Tamar asked for three things. Seal, core, staff. Because she kept those three things, she was pardoned. It's kind of interesting. In the Bible, in Old Testament, New Testament, number matters. Jesus was sentenced to death. Yes, he died. But in three days, he was saved, resurrected. I always wonder why Bible records Tamar asked for three things. It could be one should be enough, plenty enough. 
to show us proof for three things. Yes, Jesus was resurrected in three days. Let me go back. In the meantime, I'm going to go back to the time of that 12 brothers of Judah. So Judah, as a boy, was sold to Egypt. He becomes prime minister, maybe some, like I said, some, some years, that duration of 20-some years. As you know, that there was a famine in the land. There was no food. So the family of Joseph, no, Jacob was hungry. So they went to Egypt asking for food. And you know the whole the story about that. And I'm going to get into details. This very Judah who saw his own brother Joseph, look his repented heart when he appeared before Joseph, his own younger brother. When Joseph said, you can go, but you leave your Benjamin alone. You leave Benjamin here with me, you go. And he now knows what he did. He saw Joseph, he saw how agony and misery his father was all these years. And now his father might have to experience another Last born son, a tragedy, yes. So this is what is how he repents in Genesis 44, 33. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of this boy, Benjamin, and let the boy return with his brother. Now he understands the meaning of sacrifice. Our Christ sacrifice. That's the roadway to the grace. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, no, no. Do not let me see the misery that will come to my father. Parenthesis again. This moved Joseph, the prime minister, to tears because he saw true repentance of his brother. Judah, who once sold his own brother is now pouring his heart to save his the other brother, Benjamin. It's like Paul, Apostle Paul in New Testament. Judas got transformed. Apostle Paul was transformed. He, Apostle Paul, killed the Christians, he did a lot of bad things. There was a transformation moment, and then Paul became wonderful witness of Christ. So Joseph comforts the brother with this, and this is what talk about what is to come. Joseph comforts brothers, especially Judah, and reveals all this in, is in God's plan. The lineage from from Judah to all the way to uh, Christ, is all in God's plan. That's what he reveals 
Genesis 45, when he saw Judah repent, Joseph said this to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and no reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant of earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then, it was not that you who sent me here, but God did. He made me the father of Pharaoh, prime minister in other words, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Do you see the flaw, his story with his, his family and him, Judah himself, going from being wicked and bad to being repented? to learning about the true sacrifice and, and understanding all oh, this is God's plan. And Tamar, in the meantime, the inspiration that she came, the importance of keeping this legacy, importance of keeping this lineage, she did what she did in accordance with the law of the land at that time. But the fact that she disguised herself as prostitute, she took the risk in order to maintain that legacy. What are we learning from this story? It's about humility, repentance, and forgiveness. And the grace is about humility, repentance, and forgiveness. And sacrifice. Who would have thought that from the union of Judah and tomorrow, that we would have the line of Lord Jesus Christ himself who came with humility to give us forgiveness as we repent. God used tomorrow to save Judah. And now we have Jesus who saved us. Apostle Paul was like Judah. He did lots of bad things. He killed the Christians. And yet God transformed him into powerful witness. He declared, if I must boast, I will boast all the things that shows my weakness. This story is told because it's the weakness of Judah, weakness of Tamar, that if these two persons were living today on the stage giving a message to you, he would say everything that I've said, everything in the Bible, they will boast about their witness and how grace came upon it. The story of Judah and Tamar may be disturbing for today's moral standard, but for us to understand is that in weakness, we become strong. 
in weakness, looking for something great, look inside of you. You become strong. In weakness, you can boast about the work of God's grace. And God's promise is this, that he will use people like Judah, Paul, and like Tamar for his purpose. And so therefore, he will use you just as well. Let's thank God. Father God, we thank you so much for the story of Judah and Tamar. 